0: next month, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at the hero, Jesus, and his time that he spent specifically on the earth, and what he taught, and how he went about bringing about the redemption of humankind, you and me, and to all of creation, like what was originally planned way back before the beginning of time. All right, so that's what we're going to be doing over these next few weeks. And so I think if I don't know if you're feeling what I'm feeling, but if you and I were going to create the hero, like if you and I were in charge of the story, and we've mentioned this several times throughout, how differently we would probably do it if we were God, if we were in God's shoes. And I think now when it comes to if if you and I were going to introduce the hero into the story, we would probably do it in a in a really epic way, right? Like we would make the hero would be some noble king, He would be some great warrior. He would be somebody really significant, some person, man or woman that has greatness written all over them. And we would put them into the story and there would be epic battles and there would be epic stuff that they do and it would be amazing and the hero would ride off into the sunset and it would be awesome. Right? Because when you and I think hero, we think greatness. In our society, in our culture we prop up people like LeBron, right? Who people call the goat, No, he's not the goat. He's not the goat. But LeBron, or we look at people like, gosh, I don't know, Kylie Jenner or Beyonce, or I mean, fill in the blank. Anybody that you're like, you know, we, we idolize, we put up on this pedestal and we look at these people and say, man, they're amazing because of their good looks or because they're powerful or because they're rich or because they're talented. And these are people throughout our society that we prop up and we hold in high regard and we esteem, right? They're important to us to the point that we want to model and emulate our lives after them. We want to be like them. And so if we're going to define greatness and we're going to come up with a hero, then it's going to fall in line probably with, with one of those people, Somebody that immediately, when somebody else sees them, they go, man, that, that person is powerful. That person's got a lot to offer. We, you and I even get caught up in this ourselves in our culture, and I know for your generation, of feeling like we have to be great, and we have to earn honor and praise from other people, and our life has to count for something. And so if I want my life to matter, I've got to do something significant, and, we, and then we kind of fill in the blanks with whatever we feel like that's going to look like or what our culture says that's got to look like. And so we feel the pressure to make our name for ourselves or to become someone important. And if you didn't know anything about the Bible, if you didn't know anything about Jesus or this story, all you knew was that he, Jesus was the hero in the story, then you would assume that he came in some of those same ways. That he was a lot like what we feel like in our culture a hero would look like. So it's, I think, important for us in this first way that we're going to look at Jesus as the hero to kind of look at the differences between how we would see it and how ultimately it happened. And so what I want to do on the front end is give you, I'm going to give you the main point. All right, so you can write this down. And um, and then we're going to kind of dissect it over the next few minutes. All right. So I see pages going and hands getting ready to write. So here we go. All right. Here's the main point. Jesus entered the story and he humbled himself in three ways, in his nature, in his arrival, and in his mission. All right. Jesus entered the story and he humbled himself in his arrival, in his nature, and in his mission. So if you just take that one sentence and you compare that to how we would feel like the hero is going to enter the story, I'm not sure that humility is going to be anywhere in that list of characteristics. I'm not sure that you and I very often are looking for the most humble person that we can find to follow. We don't prop up the people who think the least of themselves, but rather the ones that walk around feeling like they're the best. And then we... What we're going to dissect and talk about is how Jesus entered the story much, much differently than that. So let's kind of break this down. The first thing is that Jesus humbled himself in his, in his nature. Now, if you think that Jesus, I know we've sometimes have a whole lot of different perspectives and ideas about who Jesus is. If you were to ask anybody in your school or somebody on the street who Jesus was, you might get any number of different answers. From he was the son of God, which would be the correct answer, to any number of other things. Man, he was a great person, or he was a liar, or he was this crazy psycho, or he was a good person who tried to help people. He was a moral teacher, right? I mean, you get all of these different ideas and views about who Jesus is. But if you and I only see Jesus as just a normal man that was born, just another human being that came into the story and into our world then we would miss a necessary part of who Jesus is. So as we talked about, Jesus is God. Jesus is God and he isn't just a created being. He's not a created God, but rather he is God himself who is eternal and he is all powerful. So Jesus is God. He was a part, he was existed from, the very, from before the very beginning. He has always existed, which is what eternal means. And so as we talked about last week, that Jesus was not only there at creation, but creation happened through him and because of him. Like he was actually a part of the creation process. So Jesus, if you take that of Jesus being God and being eternal and all powerful And then you also say that Jesus came into our world as a human, then there's some pretty significant humility that took place in order for that to happen. He humbled himself in who he became. Now, he is God and he never stopped being God. So he didn't take his divinity and put it aside and go, all right, I'm no longer going to be God while I step into this planet. He was God in full while he was on the planet. But he also became human. He also took on our nature. And so to be God and then step into our world and take on human nature requires a great deal of humility. Philippians 2 is a kind of a passage that we're going to look at throughout uh, the next few minutes. And so here's what specifically verses 6 and 7 says says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. He took the humble position of a slave, and he was born as a human being. So Paul here is saying that Jesus humbled himself. He, it didn't say he gave up his divinity. It says he gave up his divine privileges. In other words, he gave up the privileges of what heaven offered him. Of what he experienced in heaven. He gave up those privileges and he came to our earth as a human. And what that means, why that's so significant, is that he subjected himself to all the things that you and I deal with as humans. So that means he was was hungry and thirsty, which he'd never experienced before. He's God, he doesn't get hungry. There's no he doesn't need anything. And then he steps into our world as a human being and now he's got the need to fill his stomach with food and now he's thirsty. He faced temptations. That in other parts of the Bible says God cannot be tempted. God is not tempted by evil. And yet when he steps into our world in human form, he faced temptations, the same temptations that you and I face even though he didn't sin. And he also felt all of the same things that I think sometimes we fail to understand about Jesus. He faced rejection. He faced fear. Toughest, darkest moment when he's hanging on the cross and he felt abandoned by God as God turned his back on him when he represented and took the full weight of sin and, and all of the the shame. So he felt abandoned by God, even in, in that moment. He was betrayed by the in in that moment I don't think sometimes we give Jesus credit for emotions that I don't think sometimes we give Jesus credit for so when he subjected himself to becoming a human he humbled himself in that nature and took on our flesh and along with it problems and situations and all the junk that you and I deal with Hebrews 4, 5, I love this. It says this high priest talking about Jesus understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. And maybe that helps us paint Jesus in a much different light than some guy with a halo around his head that just kind of floated around the earth and never sinned and never had any issues. But rather Jesus faced all those same weaknesses and temptations that you and I faced And it was necessary for Jesus to do it. Because if Jesus was going to come and save human beings, then he had to come and fully represent them by becoming like us. Which meant he had to humble himself in his nature. The second thing, he had to humble himself in his arrival. So you and I are all familiar with the Christmas story, right? We just celebrated it last month. And, um, and talked about it, and, and if we've grown, grown up in church for any amount of time, then we know the Christmas story, right? But I don't know, oftentimes, that we allow the reality of what he did to actually sink in. And just understand what Jesus chose to do in his arrival. That he didn't come in a palace, but he came in a stable or a cave. That he wasn't born to some rich parents in some wealthy community, but he was born in some podunk village and he was born to a poor carpenter and his teenage wife who didn't have anything. There wasn't some global celebration that announced his arrival. But really just a few angels that, that communicated the message and the arrival of Jesus. And they primarily told a bunch of dirty, nasty shepherds. And it wasn't even like all of creation like made this grand celebration and and kind of weighed in and there was this big moment or whatever but rather it was just one star in the sky a significant star but just one star was really all that creation did to celebrate this amazing arrival knowing full well what was taking place I mean when you really dissect the Christmas story and you look at it and you we, we sit here and we go, this bro's coming in, man. He's coming in bold and daring and it's going to be this great thing and everybody's going to immediately know about it. It's going to be amazing. And yet there was such humility in Jesus' arrival to the point that it threw a lot of Jews off. Right? I mean, we didn't talk a whole lot about this in the, in the Old Testament, but as we're walking through the story and the, and the Israelite people and seeing that That they're not able to follow God's commands, and as they are being led in captivity and things like that, there is a, a promise that's consistently made in the Old Testament of a Messiah, of a Savior of the world that's gonna come and he's gonna rescue his people. So the Jewish people, the Israelite people, are looking for this Messiah. They want this Messiah to show up, but they think he's gonna appear how you and I would think he would appear. They're looking for a king. They're looking for some, you know, royal line that's going to deliver this great king that's going to sit on the throne like King David or Solomon or some of the great kings in their history. And he's going to defeat all of the other nations that are up against Israel. And that's how he's going to establish this new kingdom. So then when Jesus is walking around going, hey, I'm the Messiah of the world. And there's this message being proclaimed that Jesus is who he is. And they're looking back at his birth and they're going, bro, you're from Nazareth. Like, nobody, no, nothing good comes out of that place. Who, who are your mom and your dad? Mary and Joseph, they're nobodies. You don't have anything to offer to the story. There's no way that you could be the Messiah. And it caused a lot of people to doubt that Jesus was who he says he was. But God did this to show the humility that Jesus brought to earth to show the way that he came to serve and really to show this next thing, the mission that he came to fulfill. It helped foreshadow what Jesus was really there to do in the first place, not to rule and sit on a throne and start barking orders out, but rather he came in a much different way. And so the third thing is that he humbled himself in his mission So the humility that Jesus showed was was in the life that he lived. I mean, he hung out. Who did he hang out with? He hung out with sinners. He hung out with a lot of people that the religious people were like, man, don't hang out with them. They're they're weird. Or, man, they're they're into all kinds of stuff. Like, you don't want to talk to them or associate with them. Like, it'll give you a bad reputation. Right? He's hanging out with, with sick people. The people that were the outcasts in the society, the people that were, had to live in different communities because of they were unclean and things like that. And those were the people that Jesus was associating with. You even see it in the people that Jesus collected together to follow him. I mean, th- these 12 disciples that he gathered together were, were this band of like ragtuddies. He didn't put the best of the best together like he took everybody else's leftovers and these guys who were fishermen and tax collectors and just scum in that society and they couldn't cut it from a religious standpoint like they weren't good enough they weren't smart enough they didn't know enough of the old testament in order enough they weren't smart enough they didn't know enough of the old testament in order to to serve in kind of a religious capacity in that society and so they were just doing other things because they couldn't measure up when it came to the religious qualifications. And so Jesus is walking around going, yeah, I'll take him. Yeah, I'll take this person right here. Yeah, I'll take this person over here. Right? And I was thinking today of how powerful this is. Like if Jesus were to walk into this room tonight and he's putting together his 12 disciples, I don't know that Jesus would pick the 12 that we would feel like would be the most deserving. I mean, I think Jesus might walk around the room and go, yeah, I'll take, I'll take her. Man, I know how deep her struggles are. I'll, I'll take her. Man, I know how he feels. How he feels neglected. I know that he feels like an outcast. I know he feels like he doesn't measure up. Yeah, give me him. And he would, I think he would look through this room and we'd be watching and going, Jesus, I'm not sure that's who you really want. Like, we know them. They're not, they're not. They're not good enough. I don't think that they're gonna be, you're going to be able to do anything with them. Why don't you choose this person over here? Or God, pick me. I'm, I'm worthy enough, right? And Jesus is probably going to walk around the room going, no, no, no. I'm, like, give, me the, give me the worst. Give me the ones that feel like they don't have anything to offer and watch what I can do through them. Like, that's such a powerful thing that Jesus displays it, he didn't go and look for the the notoriety and all the people that that measured up in that society and all the people that that other people would immediately go, all right, I wanna hear what he has to say because I know how important he is. No, he took all of the other people and he did something significant with them. But even in his selection of those people, there was just such humility with who he chose. And then Jesus didn't even have a home to live in. Right, he says in Matthew chapter 8 verse 20, he says, Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place even to lay his head. And so he's walking from village to village with his ragtag group of disciples. And he's helping people and serving people and doing different things. But he, doesn't even, he didn't collect a bunch of money and buy this great house that he could kind of set up shop in. Like he didn't even have a place to lay his head. He just went from village to village serving people. And meeting needs. Matthew 20, 28, I love this as it just communicates the way that he lived his life. He says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So he displayed humility in his mission, in the life that he lived, but then he also displayed it in the death that he died. I think we get a true picture of Jesus' willingness to be humble and to step into our world knowing full well what it was going to cost him by his death. I mean, the fact that he knew before he even stepped into our world, he knew that his mission was going to involve him humbling himself and becoming obedient to death on a cross. Had to be humble. It had to be a moment where he was looking at this going, man, this is is going to be difficult. And he knew that this was not going to be an easy thing, but he also knew that it was going to be necessary. And so in Philippians chapter 2, in the second part of verse 7 and then verse 8, he says, or Paul says, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So think about this. Rather than being celebrated as a hero, he's crucified as a criminal. He's put to death, and he's not even put to death in an easy way. He's put to death in the most brutal way that you could possibly imagine. He's tortured, and he's mocked, and then he's nailed to a cross, and he's done it in such a public display for everybody else to see it. Right. So like in our society, it would be like, thank God we don't do this anymore. But like back in, you know, early in our history, 1800s and stuff, they would have these like public hangings. Right. So if, if somebody was found guilty and he was sentenced to die and they would, you know, sit in the town square or whatever, and they would all gather around and watch this criminal get, get hung. And everybody would gather around and like, all right, good. He's dead now. Right. And it's almost like nowadays, take it, you know and, and make it even more ex- extreme, where now all of a sudden we 've got some notorious criminal in our country that he 's tried and he 's found guilty, and so go- there 's going to be a public ex- execution and so hey, everybody 's made aware, tune in seven o 'clock prime time TV, you can pull it up on Twitter, live feed right wherever whatever social media platform you want, and the entire country is going to gather around and watch. As this guy is publicly hanged or crucified or killed, or whatever, right? And we're all just going to stand around and watch it. And how humiliating that would have been for that criminal. And that was, to a certain extent, what it was like to be crucified in first century Rome. Because what they are doing is they are putting it in a... In, in, in Jerusalem's case, they're putting it at the top of a hill, outside the city gate by a, a major road that people are coming in and out of the city. And so here are, here's a cross and Jesus is on it. And, and these criminals would be put on it. And as people are walking in and out of the city, it was so that they could see that this criminal is being crucified, right? To humble that criminal, right? As if them being killed is not bad enough, but to humble them in the process, to, be, to humiliate them in the process, but also too to, as a warning To people that are passing by to say, don't do what this criminal has done. And that's the death that Jesus died. That's what Jesus endured. And that was part of the plan. That was what God intended for him to do. That was what he willingly stepped into the story, knowing that he was going to fulfill. Knowing that that was the mission that he was going to accomplish. And he did it. And he did it for you and he did it for me. It's amazing to see the mission that Jesus had and the humility with which he lived. So Jesus entered the story and he humbled himself in his nature, in his arrival, and in his mission. And so if Jesus is humbling himself in this way, one of the things that Jesus tells us is that, hey, if you want to follow after me, you've got to be willing to humble yourself, too. And this, for a lot of us, is the challenge. Right? Because it's easier to watch Jesus do that and go, man, that's amazing. Thank God he did that for me. And then we go and live our lives full of pride and arrogance and self-gratification. Right? I mean, that's, a, that's an easy thing to do sometimes. It's a whole lot easier for us to see that Jesus did that, even for us. And it's a whole lot more difficult for us to choose to live that way too. And yet that's what Jesus is telling us to do if we want to follow after him. Not that we have to be propped up and crucified, but we have to be willing to humble ourselves. And so here's what he says in Matthew chapter 20 to his disciples. He says, Jesus called them all together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. For whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. In Philippians chapter 2, earlier in that passage, before Paul talks about the example that Jesus set, here's what he commands us. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. But be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then in James chapter 4, verse 10, we're given this command for any of us that are followers of Jesus. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. Now, it is not your job or my job to honor ourselves. We do or the way that we carry ourselves on a day-to-day basis. It's our job, as James is saying, it's our job to humble ourselves. It's our job to humble ourselves, to let the example that Jesus set for us motivate us to do the same. And what that means for us, the starting point is that we submit to God rather than feel like we could do a better job than God could. Right. So we put God in his rightful place and we understand who we are and we submit to God and his authority over our lives. And we try to live underneath that I've come to realize the hard way in my own life is that either we can choose humility or God will choose it for us. You and I can either choose humility or God can choose it for us. And honestly, I've been on both sides of that equation. And it is a whole lot less painful in those moments when I choose to humble myself. And when we see the example that Jesus set and we understand who God has called us to be as his followers... And we begin to live every day humbling ourselves and not thinking more of ourselves than we should, but rather putting God in his rightful place, serving under his authority, serving other people, having the same heart and mindset and attitude that Jesus lived with. And because Jesus chose humility, God lifted him up in honor. Here's how the end of that passage in Philippians 2 ends says, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so you say, well, didn't Jesus already have, a, wasn't he already God beforehand? Yeah, but, but now all of a sudden Jesus has established authority Over sin and over death. And because not only of his death on the cross. But also because of his resurrection. He now had full and final authority. Over everything including sin and death. And struggles and pain. And all of the stuff that he came to free us from. So that's what Jesus has come to do. As he stepped into our story as the hero. Not to display his greatness, not to talk about how amazing he is, not to sit on some throne and have people come and bow down and worship him and serve him, but rather he came humbly in the life that he lived and ultimately in the death that he died to serve us because he loved us, because he came to rescue us away from the things that constantly push us down and defeat us so that we could experience new life. And so the challenge for us tonight and every single day is, are we willing to see that example and be changed by that example? And will it motivate us to live the same way? Let's pray together.